0: Well, Good morning again. Um, I hope you're enjoying the easing of restrictions. Uh, I didn't quite do the Dean Boxall celebration on Wednesday, but uh, I certainly felt a happiness that came in waves as the days continued to, pro- uh, as the week progressed on. Uh, I hope you're all doing well. Um, this week, we thought it would be best to run church, um, church service online, as it's nice to kind of ease back into a normal routine. I think for us, it just... Sometimes you almost have to recover from the week a little bit, and it's nice to just kind of, um, yeah, ease back into a normal, normal routine. So, uh, as as I mentioned before, um, we are meeting online today, but next week we will be meeting in person. Um, so today's sermon is entitled "Creation Care." Uh, I recently found a a footprint calculator that asks a series of questions about my life. And if you're interested, you can find the same footprint calculator um, on uh, footprintcalculator.org. And basically the website asks questions like, how many kilometers do you drive per uh, week? Uh, what kind of fuel economy does your car get? Uh, what what do your re- recycling habits look like? Um, how, efi- how energy efficient is your house? And et cetera, et cetera. After inputting all my data, the results are that if anyone lived like me, um, sorry, if everyone on planet Earth lived like me, we would need 4.4 Earths to manage the ecological deficit that uh, my life creates. (laughs) Um, The website also shows how each country manages their biocapacity. Now, just to put a little slide up there for you. Biocapacity... Um, is the capacity of ecosystems to regenerate what people demand from those surfaces. So the map here on that I'm showing to you um, shows by country if their biocapacity is a creditor or a debtor to planet Earth. Uh, Green meaning creditor, red meaning debtor. And if you look at um, the globe, well, I've kind of chopped part of the globe off for the sake of fitting all the information in there. There's kind of like that middle section of the globe, um, that is red, uh, which is not good, but the good news is that Australia is a creditor. And, um, you know, if you, if you do a little bit of researching online, you'll find out that a significant portion of the world's population and industry reside in that section of the world. That's very red. Um, Now, prior to 1989, uh, the church had very little interest in ecology and sustainability, Uh, but in the past 30 years, there have been significant developments in theology, uh, there have been significant developments um, in activism within Christianity, and today I want to explore with you a theology of land. And, and I also want to share with you what contributions Christians around the world um, are making to sustain this place that we call home. And then I want to end by just kind of exploring a few things that we can do personally in our lives um, to to contribute to um, really sustaining our uh, sustaining the place that we call um, home. So I just want to start with the theology of land. Now in in the Genesis account, after creation, God takes Adam and gives him the responsibility to care for that which has been created. So, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, um, the Bible says that, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. So, the care of land was a special responsibility given to humanity uh, because in scripture, land is sacred now in Israelite history the the Israelite nation journeyed from slavery um, into a land that was promised to them and the land that God gave to Israel was divided into 11 divisions by tribe um, and each Israelite was allotted a portion of land except for the tribe of Levi So, in Leviticus 25, there are rules dedicated to protect how the land was supposed to be used. So, in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 23, the first rule that I want to bring our attention to is that the land was not supposed to be sold permanently. Um, Now, in chapter 25, Um, God kind of explains what he means by that. If we look at Leviticus chapter 25, verses 10, 13, and 14, the text reads, And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. In this year of jubilee, Each of you shall return to his possession. And if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. So during a lifetime, the Hebrews would buy or sell their land to either gain wealth or because they had run into hard times. But the law here states that every 50 years, the Israelites were to return the land back to the original owner. This is God's way of eliminating oppression, eliminating wealth inequality. Um, The foundation for which God influences the Israelite economy was managed by land distribution. And if we look at... Leviticus 23, verse 23, or going back to Leviticus 23, verse 23, notice here God says that the land is mine. God claims ownership of the land, and therefore the Israelites were supposed to treat the land as holy. Now, if we look at the first seven verses of Leviticus chapter 25, notice some of the other uh, rules here that are uh that that are supposed to guide their management of land. So starting from verse 1, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of the solemn rest of the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field, nor prune your vineyard, what grows of its own accord, or your harvest, you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is a year of rest for the land. And the Sabbath pr- produce of the land shall be food for you, for you your male and female servants, your hired man and the stranger who dwells with with you, for your livestock and the beasts that are in your land, all its produce shall be for food. So, every seven years the land was supposed to keep a Sabbath. Um, or excuse me, I should say, yeah, after every six years, the seventh years, the seventh year was supposed to be a Sabbath for the land. In other words, no plowing of the field. No sowing, no harvesting, no pruning. During that year, the Israelites were not supposed to make money off of the land. They were to eat for themselves whatever grew, and they were supposed to share with the whole community whatever was there. If there was a traveler traveling through, the field was basically... Whatever they wanted to eat, they could eat as they were traveling through. If there was someone who had run into hard times, that food was there for, for uh, the community that was in need. So the land was supposed to rest. Now, what do you think would happen to, let's say we lived in the time of Israel, um, and every six years, we are to take a break from work and just just rest what would happen emotionally, mentally, physiologically if every six years we just ceased? Don't have to worry about paying the bills because if we ever need anything, you just go and trade with somebody or that person, whoever has whatever it is that you need, just gives it to you. Imagine what would happen to a community if if it actually practiced the principles that are being placed here. Uh, what would to happen in our planet if we halted global economy every six years and just took care of each other? Here God commands the Israelites to allow the land to rest, creating a sacred duty to care for the land and one another. So the Bible presents direct and indirect connections between the Israelite spirituality and the care of the land. So once again, a connection between the Israelite spirituality and the care of the land. In other words, when people are spiritually healthy, the land as a result becomes healthy. So in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 to 4, and then in verse 12, the Bible says, If you indeed obey the Lord your God and are careful to observe all his commandments I am giving you today, The Lord your God will elevate you above all nations of the earth. All these blessings will come to you in abundance if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. Your children will be blessed, as well as the produce of your soil, the offspring of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. The Lord will open for you his good treasure house, the heavens to give you rain for the land in its season and to bless all you do. Now, what I want to highlight here from this passage is when God's people are mindful of God, they naturally become mindful of what he has created as well. In other words, they give rest to the land. They take care of each other. They practice uh, the Jubilee year, there's justice in the land, there's equity uh, and peace, and the result is that God adds a blessing to the goodness of the people that isn't necessarily connected um, to what they've done. And God does this so that other nations know that God is present in Israel and that they are his people. Now, if you read the remainder of the chapter, you find the opposite is also true in Deuteronomy chapter 28. If God's people disregard him and act in rebellion, they naturally oppress each other. Oh, thank you. They naturally oppress each other. Their greed and selfishness uh, drive them to overwork, injustice, inequality, and the result is that the land becomes barren. Uh, On top of that, God judges the people and the land to show that their resources and their power cannot save them from the sovereignty of God. So there's this significant relationship between our connection to God and the way we value God's creation. Here are a few more passages that I think are quite compelling that connect this idea of spirituality and the wellness of the land. In Isaiah chapter 24, verse 5, the Bible says, The earth suffers for the sins of its people, for they have twisted God's instructions, violated his laws, and broken his everlasting covenant. There's that connection again between the well-being of the land connected to spirituality. Here's Revelation chapter 11, verse 18. This passage is about judgment that's pronounced upon those who destroy the earth. The Bible reads, The nations were filled with wrath, but now the time of your wrath has come. It's a time to judge the dead and reward your servants, the prophets, as well as your holy people and all who fear your name, from the least to the greatest. It is a time to destroy all who have caused destruction on the earth. See, this passage is stating that God cares about the suffering of humanity, God cares about creation. And the Bible says that he will bring about justice and redemption for all of his creation. So in light of that, the Bible says that all creation is looking forward to God's judgment. If we go to Psalm chapter 96, verses 11 to 13, it says, Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with his truth. So the psalmist here gives nature, which is inanimate, a voice to communicate God's desire for restoration. So in the past thirty years, uh, Christianity has become more active in the space of ecological concern. Prior to the 90s, uh, Christianity wasn't really engaged in environmentalism uh, and since then there's been this uh, there have been these symposiums on religion and science which I'll go to in just a, uh, which I'll explain in just a, in a moment. So in 1989, uh, patriarch Demetrius. Demetrius published an encyclical setting September 1 as a day of prayer for God's creation. Now, since that uh, published encyclical, all Orthodox churches, the Roman Catholic Church, and the Anglican Communion have all adopted this day for prayer. In 1991, when Bartholomew I was elected as the ecumenical patriarch, uh, he organized an ecological summit in Istanbul. Istanbul. Now, this summit was attended by Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, the chairman of the World Wildlife Fund, and it it became this this success where uh, religion and science kind of blended together to talk about what could be done uh, to preserve Earth. From 1994 to 1998, uh, Bartholomew I organized five summits covering the topics of environmental education, ethics, and poverty. Since then, Bartholomew has hosted nine gatherings which have been interdisciplinary, interdenominational gatherings that encourage dialogue and debate about climate change. Now, I recognize that um, there may be concerns about uh, joining an ecumenical movement and and, and the role of Adventism um, and and how it engages with, uh, I guess, the outside religious world. But I bring this up to recognize that within Christianity, there's this movement within, um, within the churches to acknowledge the importance of caring for God's creation. And I think sometimes religion can seem disconnected from the actual needs of the world. Uh, but when it comes to ecology, this, this is not the case. It's nice to know that in many ways, Christianity is contributing to these important discussions. You know, many of you know that Melbourne is kind of like the center of uh, environmentalism. Um, you know, the, the the city of Melbourne. Is largely made up of people who are environmentally, uh, in, environmentally conscious. Uh, Adam Bant is the current member of parliament that represents Mel- Melbourne at the federal government. Um, he was first elected as MP in 2010, then re elected in 2013, 2016, and 2019, and he's the current leader of the Australian Green Party, which is a minority party in Australia that prioritizes policy concerning the environment. Now, I am not a Green Party supporter. Um, I'm not uh, clearly. I'm not opposed to environmentalism, but I, I highlight this just to show that sometimes there's a disconnect between the church and the people around us. But it's so nice to know that in this case, uh, Christianity is very relevant and very active in this space. And so when people have questions about um, how uh, what is the church doing in the space of environmentalism, it's it's nice to know that there's a history there. So, the church has been quite active in the space of ecology. Now, when I look at my own life, um, as I've stated, I'm far away from making any positive ecological contributions to the planet. Um, I'm, I'm part of the reason why these talks are so important. Like, I'm preaching to myself. Uh, just six months ago, I, I owned four vehicles. Um, well, I should say I owned three vehicles. Personally, Jinha owned one. Um, if you calculate the usage of fuel, car parts to sustain four vehicles, um, the carbon that's produced by <laughs> these vehicles, it's its a lot. Now, I have since sold three vehicles and bought another one, but two is better than four, right? Like, it's a work in progress. And and my point is just that I'm preaching something that, that I need to hear. And I realize it can be challenging to know how to respond to this challenge That lies before us. Um, But I think it's worth it to explore um, what can be done, um, what what minor adjustments can be done in our lives um, in hopes for bigger adjustments that can actually make a positive difference um, in in the world that we live in. So today I want to focus on just, I want to briefly focus on a few industries that really impact climate change. And I'm going to be Quoting some studies that that have been done. I'm not sure exactly how they came to these conclusions because if you line all the studies up, um, there's more than 100% of uh, global emissions that are being produced here. So just take these numbers with a grain of salt, but also know that there is a significant, um, uh, there are a lot of industries that are contributing to climate change at the moment. So according to The Guardian, there are just 100 companies that are responsible for 71% of global emissions. Now, if you look at that list of 100 companies uh, through the news article, every single one of those 100 companies are energy, coal, electricity, or oil-related. And and when I think about that number, that just 100 companies are making such a big impact on the world that we live in, and and those companies... Like, we, we benefit from them. Like, those companies, they power our houses. Those companies provide fuel for our cars. Like, it's important to live in a house that has heating, it's important to have a, a, a vehicle where you can drive to work. Like, and so, what I want to say is uh, rather than, I, I just want to say that I recognize that it's a challenge to make a big adjustment and that. Not all of us are able to afford a solar panel. Um, not all of us own the houses that we live in, and so we wouldn't be able to do it anyway. Not all of us are able to afford electric vehicles. I mean, if you look at how much Tesla's cost right now, it's almost the cost of a down payment of a house. (laughs) And so just, I recognize that, um, big changes are difficult to make, but, we can make a few adjustments in how we travel or how we keep our homes running. Um, for example, we can control how often we use the heater or the air conditioner. We can control what lights we use in the house and when we use them. Uh, we can control how often we take public transportation. We can organize carpooling when we can, or we can choose to walk or use a push bike. Um, you know, I, am, I am a significant admirer of Sam who walks everywhere and you know it's just incredible that she walks everywhere <laughs> I was gonna follow that up but just there, there was nothing else to say after that <laughs> you know um, Micah's primary school sent out a notice for um, next year and they're trying to encourage uh, they're, they're trying to encourage their students to ride their bicycles to school And we live about maybe a 15-minute bike ride um, to Micah's school. And next year, it's going to be a little bit more challenging because Joshua's going to be going to the same school. And so, it's like, when I first read that note, I thought, this is silly. I mean, it takes me maybe 10 minutes by car um, to get the kids there and Even though it's a 15-minute bike ride, it's getting the kids ready and getting them dressed. And I just thought, this is is not practical. But the more I thought about it, I just kind of thought, you know, it's these little trips and it's these little decisions that, you know, if let's say I just ride the bike with them once a fortnight, that's still better than driving every single day. And so anyway, these little decisions, I think, in the long run can make a big difference. Now, the UN Climate Change Report, stated that uh land clearing and farming contribute to a third of the world's greenhouse gases think about that statistic um land clearing and farming alone contribute to a third of the world's greenhouse gases and the type of farming that they're talking about like it's 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 animal farming it's it's the food that we eat and you know, it's moments like this where it makes me deeply appreciate the Seventh Day Adventist health message, uh, which promotes vegetarianism. And I think, you know, when when the health message first um, became important to our denomination, it came about as a result of people having poor diet and becoming quite sick. And so, uh, as a result of implementing a healthy diet and and and, and regular exercise. Um, the people who applied the health message became healthier. But as time progressed, it amazes me how relevant the health message still is, but for different reasons. Um, When I walked through Brunswick 10 years ago, 12 years ago, and realized that vegetarian food was trendy, I just kind of thought, when did this become a thing? Like, When did it become popular to become vegetarian? And then you fast forward another 12 years and you realize um, this is actually quite important for the longevity of humanity in that um, we can significantly decrease um, the effect that agriculture is having on the climate by adopting the health message. And once again, there's this, um, for me, there's this uh, emphasis of, well, not emphasis, but just, I'm amazed at how relevant. Um, scripture and spirituality is to the present needs of the world. So as we consider just these few industries and slight adjustments that can be made within our lifestyle, it's pretty amazing the change that can happen as more and more people adopt slight adjustments within their lifestyle. I was watching this YouTube video of uh, Mark Rober. And for those of you who are not familiar with Mark Rober, um, he is a NASA engineer who helped um, design and build uh, one of the rovers that went to Mars. And um, he has recently retired and started making these YouTube videos. And um, he has millions and millions of subscribers and millions and millions of views per video of, of him Engineering these um, neat inventions and, and making videos around them. Now, one of the videos that he makes is with Bill Gates, and they're actually talking about the effect of agriculture and climate change. And the whole video, they're sitting there talking to each other, eating vegetarian burgers. Now, Bill Gates is by no means a saint, and I'm not uh, elevating him as in like, hey, uh, look how good this guy is. But rather, he is someone who has spent quite a bit of time and effort and invested a, a fair amount of funds into um, making the, um, addressing some of the major issues of the world. And it's incredible to me that someone who is clearly not a vegetarian is eating a vegetarian burger, talking to Mark Rober, one of the most uh, successful YouTubers um, out there right now. About the importance of sustainability. So, as you as we consider those things, I just want to highlight. Uh, I just want to reiterate. I recognize that it's a challenge to make significant change, and I, I rarely kind of push these things from the front as a pastor. Um, but as I've been reading about um, environment, uh, ecology, and the importance of sustaining our our our. our life on earth for the sake of our children and our grandchildren, um, it just kind of, it amazes me how scripture um, emphasizes this point as well. Now, I want to end by reading a passage from Isaiah chapter 1, verses uh, 13 to 16 in closing. Isaiah chapter chapter 1, verses uh, 13 to 16. The Bible reads, oh, excuse me, this is the first passage. Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies I cannot endure. Iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear, your hands are full of blood. I recognize without any context, this is a pretty random passage and a very negative, uh, dark passage to read. And so, to give some context to this passage, God here is speaking to Israel who have acted unjustly. They are in... Um, their hearts are not interested in the things of god and they're, they're they've turned religion into this uh, legalistic uh based religion that though is religious is not good and god here initially gives a rebuke but then gives a message of redemption and really it's this contrast that i was going for so forgive the um lack of context here are the next few passages. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. So what I want to end on here is that there are times in humanity prioritizes itself over the will of God. And here, God sternly rebukes it, but at the same time, he provides this uh, redemptive line where he's saying, let's sit down, let's reason together let's talk about redemption. And and he offers this sense of unconditional forgiveness, this unconditional support, and even though he rebukes Israel, he also provides this sense of acceptance and and, and love. And the passage ends by saying, when this restoration of spirituality happens, you will eat the good of the land. And in the Bible, there's this theme of A redemption of land, um, redemption of all creation. And I think sometimes when we think of the Bible and we think of the purpose of Scripture, we kind of tend to think Jesus came to earth to die for humanity and save humanity. But as you read through Scripture, passages like Isaiah, like the one we just read, when you look through Revelation, when you look at Romans chapter 8, there are passages that communicate that. Salvation and redemption is for all of creation, not just people. And and one of the final signs, maybe kind of like the cherry on the top, that God's redemption is complete, is that even the land gets redeemed and restored. And as you read through Revelation chapter uh, 21, you see God recreating the earth. And so there's this promise that as we journey through this um, this uh f uh, this this journey of spirituality and this journey of restoration as we make these adjustments god is there to then continue to guide to provide forgiveness to provide support to provide acceptance and the end result is one experiencing the presence of god and finally experiencing a redeeming of the land and so i hope that as you think about these things as you pray through them that um yeah, that, that you would ask God to speak to your heart about um, what adjustments can be done uh, in your life as you consider uh, this idea of faith and um, faith and, and the preservation of land. May God bless you as you consider these things, and I'll just invite you to join me for prayer uh, as we close. Father God, um, I just want to thank you for the gift of creation that you have created us, that you've given us stewardship of something that's quite incredible, um, that that provides us a means to live, means to sustain our lives, um, and to even enjoy life. And I just want to pray that as we consider you, as we consider uh, what it means to lay aside our own personal interests, to lay aside our greed, to lay aside our ambitions uh, for the sake of Uh, For the sake of you and for the sake of each other, um, I just want to pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would impress upon us, that you would teach us um, how to be good stewards of that which you've given to us. So we pray these things in your name. Amen.